At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal Awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome into episode eight of Bring in the Closer. Oh, sorry, Closers. <clears throat> I guess Ben is here today. Ryan Ray alongside Ben Samuels. What's going on, Ben? Not too much. Uh, you know, got the uh, wonderful opportunity to spend most of the week with you last week and, uh, get to fire it up this week. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the break next week. Oh, I mean, um, I know that we're both looking forward to having a long weekend next week and that'll be good. Um, yeah. that is a good point for the sanity of the show and our friendship. We are taking off next Monday. We will be back a week after that, uh, September the 10th, I believe, unfortunately, but we'll be back, uh, on regular schedule. We did spend, um, too much time together last week. Unfortunately in Houston, it was hot. I have an idea and I threw this out on the text long guest podcast. This is so Nate gave us free media passes. I'm giving them free advice. Here you go. They need to move the, the, the show back one month, basically. So from middle of August to middle of September. Now, I know you're concerned. You're going, okay, it's summer nape, and people will think it's in August. We swap the name to September nape. September nape, everyone knows it's in September. Summer nape, you give the old yellow treatment. Everyone will be locked in. Everyone will love it. People will be excited to walk around outside and not feel like it's in a sauna. What do you think, Ben Samuels? I'm absolutely with it. Anything to get me out of the summer heat in Houston or the summer humidity in Houston in August, I am absolutely for cosine. Cosine. Call call Nape. Get it done. September Nape is the new name. That's what we're calling it, September Nape. We're vouching for September Nape. Okay. With that being said, um, what was your thoughts on September, or not September, September, Summer Nape? The first time at Summer Nape, what were your thoughts? Did it meet expectation? Didn't meet expectation? What did you learn? What did you like? Didn't like? Besides the 700 degree temperature outside. You know, I think at an overall level, I thought it was a lot slower even than I was expecting. You know, certainly wasn't expecting the same amount of traffic uh, that, you know, comes through at the at the summit uh, every February. But, uh, you know, th- there were a lot of major players that didn't have any presence, didn't have a booth. And that, that was alarming to a degree. I think there were, uh, you know, seeing at least my, one of my takeaways was seeing part of, uh, you know, the Permian. There wasn't much of a Permian presence. There was a lot of other areas uh, that were pretty covered up, uh, which, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I... I guess what you and I were on the floor for only a couple hours out of the two days, but I think we both had uh, you know, really productive meetings offline and, and got you know, got a lot done. And so that, from that perspective, I think uh, you know the, the people that did come into town for it were the C-suite level guys and the guys that you you know you want to be talking to. Um, but I, I guess I would really like to see a little bit more traffic. I mean, what did you think? I'm always torn with the traffic thing. It's a catch twenty-two. So the more traffic is, the more there's more players there. But it's also harder to get in front of them potentially because you're competing with more other people who are there. So I, I understand the hey, you want more people there argument always. Uh, but it's also sometimes it is a little harder to get in front of people. So Summer Nate makes it a little bit more accessible. You, you're more likely to bump into folks. Whereas at Nate Summit, uh, Nate Summit, you can literally be wall to wall walking up and down the aisles and, you know, can't get a lot done from that perspective. So it does flow a little better. Um, it is a stark change though. If, you're, if you've never been there, from uh, Winter Nape, Summer Nape, whatever they call it, uh, Summit Nape, Nape Summit, whatever it's called, the one in February to Summer Nape. It is it is fundamentally a different conference almost. Um, and I think it has its pros and its cons. And so you just got to kind of take that. The, the, the thing that I took away just from being on the floor talking with folks is I didn't hear a lot of, yeah, we're really excited to do deals. I heard the, well, if it fits our portfolio, we'll look at it. 
And that's kind of the vibe I got from the players that were there. What was your, did you get that same thing or um, what was your takeaway on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're seeing the, you know, the, the kind of the ramifications of everybody is sticking within their sandbox uh, because you know they, they, they want to stay within what they know. And there were, I think that there were a lot more packages that were um, for looking for pure divestment as opposed to JV. And that was also alarming or, or at least notable, I should say, uh, you know, generally there's a good mix of, you know, geology teams that have put something together and they're looking to raise money, but you also have, uh, you know, also have some mineral packages, packages for sale. There, there was a lot more uh, you know, for sale as opposed to wanting to bring in partners or capital raise uh, than, than I would have expected. What, what about you? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things on the Texas One Guest podcast, which will come out the same time or the this week's episode. So whenever this one comes out and Texas One Guest podcast comes out this week's episode, we had on David Blackman um, talking about, what's going on in the permit. And one of the things he said this, that he had talked to with, uh, so him and Alan, Alan Gilmore had done a piece for Forbes or David done a piece for Forbes with Alan. And one of the things he said, Alan pointed out was when you're dealing with conventional, and this is a paraphrase, you can go listen to the podcast to kind of get the, the four quote, but if you're dealing with conventional, the, the skill to use a kind of a, a, a crude word, if you will, the skill is not as, um, uh, the skill level rather, the, the expertise is not as high. It's not as, um, you don't have to be maybe a super expert as it is for horizontal, unconventional fracking wells. And so what we, one of the things that they're, 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 they're talking about is as we're going through this shell revolution, there's a lot of folks who wanted to get into the shell place who just don't have the skill, the technique, the expertise, whatever those keywords are. Whereas with conventional, everyone kind of had a good grasp on how to do it. Taking what he said and thinking about some of this stuff we've talked about, it makes me wonder... Uh, there's a lot of narratives out there about, um, you know, the tier one acreage is drilled. Um, you know, there's junk acreage out there. The acreage that people have bought, they were paid for. I'm wondering, Ben, as we've seen some swings in the mineral market where folks are looking to get rid of it, um, will we see maybe a year, two years from now coming back in with, with teams that are more like, you know, SEAL Team 6, they have the experts and they're ready to go, and they'll pick up some of this acreage for good prices because folks right now, they just can't figure out the math, they can't figure out the science, they can't figure out the engineering, and so they're trying to get out of it, which will lower the price because they're, they're looking to sell. Uh, the market's kind of soft as, as it is. Will we see companies pick this up and actually get premium assets um, because they actually have the capacity to drill it or do you not necessarily buy into that theory at all? You know, I don't even know if it's really that. I think it's really more of a time horizon thing and drill, you know, looking at drilling schedules and uh, comparing that to CapEx for these independent operators and for a lot of the, uh, the you know, mid-majors. Mid um, you know, and the reason I say that is because if you are, you know, if you're not a Shell or Exxon or, or one of the major players and you do need to really give thought to where you're going to put the rigs you have on location and, and what your drilling schedule is going to look like, you know, even if you have really good assets, you may divest those to to funnel the capital into a prop into a drilling program that you have coming up, you know, more quickly. And so that being said, I think there's a lot of deals that is good quality rock and good quality assets that are going to simply be trading, you know, trading hands and may not be developed in the next three, five, seven years. But that doesn't mean that they're not good quality, and it doesn't even mean that the break even for those areas isn't you know, isn't. Uh, you know, profitable today. It, I, I just think there may be you know, higher tier assets that, that these guys want to drill. Uh, I mean, because at the end of the day, if, if you think about how much acreage can be held by one well and how many rigs can functionally be out on the ground at one time, you know, the, these companies, I mean, even look like a, like a concho who has, you know, 300,000 plus acres uh, in the Permian. I mean, how in the world are you supposed to drill that in any you know timely manner, right? I mean, you could you could be you could be drilling that for decades, and so if they want to you know infuse some capital into something else, they may sell off an asset. But that that to me does not signal degradation of the asset or, or that it wasn't profitable. Sometimes there's just more you know more pressing items on the docket. With that being said, the thing that I did find was that the folks who are interested, as we said, they are actually interested, and there is some serious folks who are looking to make position um, make moves and you know, pick up some acreage or some assets or whatever the case may be um so it's not it's not doom and gloom it's just i think right now if you're trying to put together a deal like this it's really making sure that when you're talking to person a that you and person a are talking about the same thing you're making sure you're clearing the channels and you are um, trying to determine whether what you have is what they're looking for and if it's not what are they actually looking for because we had a very good meeting 
right before we left that one gentleman who is was extremely excited and he had certain things he's looking for and said if you could find it at this price point he would take it so um which leads me to my next point is is um, or next point of uh, for the for the show is sometimes and even me and you I think spend a lot of time talking together it is tough and it's in this environment it's probably even tougher to make sure that you are clearly communicating what it is you have and also what it is that the the, the buyer is looking for um, to marry that up and why do you think um, you know me and you there's been several times where we've had conversations where like. This whole time, I didn't think you were talking about that. And the other person like, well, yeah, I've been talking about this whole time. Like, what, what's your problem? So me and you who talk a lot, which should make it easier, what are some thoughts on as you're going through maybe a, a, a slow market, if you will, to make sure that you're not blowing deals because you're just not you're not hearing right or you're not, you're not communicating clearly? How do you try to walk back that process to make sure that you can um, understand what you're what you're being told and communicate what you want to communicate in a clear manner? So I'll answer that by giving you a specific example. Uh, so after Nate this week, you know, after uh, networking with a number of groups and, and uh, uh, you know, there were a number of prospects that, that I wanted to follow up on and, and I followed up with those groups. Uh, one of the groups sent me uh, an email and it had uh, a couple paragraphs that were obviously generic language that didn't really tell me much about the asset. And then there was a Dropbox link, which is totally fine. You know, I, so I clicked on the Dropbox link and then in the Dropbox link, there was, there was a map with very little data there was a geology report that I couldn't tell you necessarily what it was telling me other than if I could have read the well log, which is not my expertise. And then there were a couple of other supporting documents. Um, there wasn't a price. There wasn't a, you know, a, any kind of a pitch deck in terms of a plan of, of you know, what the proposal was. There, there wasn't any, there wasn't nearly enough for me to put anything together. And the reason I bring that up is because you know, that's an example of that asset that I saw, it might be a phenomenal asset and there might be plenty of people in my network that I could plug in. But, you know, at this point it's balls back in my court and I have to reach back out and say something along the lines of, Hey, what you sent me wasn't enough. I need and list off a number of things. And to me that, you know, that's probably not worth my time because if they had it provided or if they had it already, they probably would have sent it over to me. And so because of that, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, in these times, it's really important to dot the I's, cross the T's, you know, button the package up so that it looks nice. Um, you know, you and I have talked about it before, you know, don't be just, don't just be the guy that just clicks forward on an email and, and sends it off to somebody, you know, take some, take some time to, to kind of package it up with a bow. Because I think those are the things that at least for me, those are the things that really get my attention. I mean, if somebody sends me something on the front end that, that has all the information, at least readily pre presented or teases out like, Hey, if you have more, uh, more questions, you know, get back to me or, or I can follow up with more information because you know, that's, that's going to get my, on my radar a lot more quickly. One of the things I've come to realize dealing with you, and this isn't a knock on you, it's just I've just realized it is that because we both consider ourselves pretty decent at reading people and kind of under anticipate where someone's going, I think part of the thing is um, that, that we can kind of fall susceptible to is we believe that maybe we've communicated our point better um, than we have. A, so that's probably part of what happened with this email that you're talking about here. I haven't seen it, but they probably believe that they communicate their point better, A. Um, and B, sometimes if you're on the receiving end of the information and you're responding, um, sometimes you you do the same thing, which is you got information that you, that person A thought they had um, made it very clear and it's not very clear. Then person B gets it and they respond in a manner that, that they think is very clear and it's not very clear. And the next thing you know, you have two people that are, that are kind of talking past each other because there's, you can create this, I don't know if expectation or this sense of where you feel like you're communicating well and you could be a good communicator, but you're not actually communicating well. Does that make sense? Like where you, you feel like, Hey, I am saying this, but you're using different lingo. You're using slang. Maybe you're not drilling down beyond surface level. Um, and so you, you spin your wheels and go, and then next thing you know, it's like, Oh, well, we're talking about the same thing, but we just didn't spend that extra time to kind of carve out and figure out why we weren't communicating there. In this specific example, probably not, but in general, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot, I mean, like you said, you and I sometimes talk past each other. And then once one of us is like, hold on, wait, I think we're on the same page, but let's, let's zoom out for a second and talk about it. We, we very quickly are able to, to you know, understand where each other's coming from. But, but in this instance, I guess what I'm painting the picture of is that you know, if you're going to send someone a prospect, I think that anybody seeing it is going to want to see a price, right? 
anybody seeing it is going to want to see something you know written up about the asset. And so, yes, to your point in general, absolutely. In this specific instance, I, no, I, yeah, I, I don't know, know about that. Yeah, I, I'm not. But I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the email, so I don't know. I'm, I'm saying, but I'm wondering in their mind if they feel like. If you were to sit down and or, or, or so there could be a couple things going on. A, they felt like they gave enough information, and according to you, they didn't, which is you know that's fine. We'll take your word for it. Um, or they could have, but the flip side is they could have not given enough information on purpose in hopes to draw you out. But right now in the market where it's at, it's like okay, we don't have time to be drawn out. We need to get stuff that's clear, it's concise, and we need to be able to to transact on that. To, actually, to that point, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's a really good point. Uh, so the, the second piece of, of that is that the uh, the guy that sent it to me followed up a couple of days later and asked me and said, oh, you know, do you have any interest in it? And I guess I, you know, to your point, I guess I could have taken that as, hey, I know I didn't send you enough. If you have interest, I can follow up with more. I took it more as, you know, I gave you what you needed to, to take a look at it. You know, uh, what feedback do you have? Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, heck we've talked, well, this is episode eight. I mean, I think we've talked the lion's share of the first seven, seven episodes about clarity of message and communication. And I think that's, you know, that's of utmost importance. And that's, you know, that, that may be an area that, that I, you know, that I missed a little bit that you're absolutely right. Well, I think though, I don't think that there's one right way or wrong way. I think understanding how you are trying to convey information or get information and being clear that this is that you're deploying a certain model, if you will, or a certain tool to get information out of someone or to give them information. Um, so you could just to kind of use a few silly examples here. One, you could give a hundred percent transparency. So they could have sent you the email with literally every speck of information about the um, this prospect to the point where it's 500 pages document and you're never going to read it. That's obviously a silly analogy, but they could have done something like that. Um, on the flip side, they could have went all the way with, hey, I've got 15 acres in this county. Do you want it? Right. So there's kind of the, the extremes there. Both of those are kind of when, you, when you're the person, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, I think understanding that if you're the person who's given the 15 acres for in this county with no price or no map or no nothing, that you have to understand that there's going to be um, – some people who will read that, like yourselves, and go, oh my gracious, this is not worth my time. Some people will read that and go, huh, I wonder where this is at. Um, each way that you, when you send out information, you have to understand how you're sending it out, the most likely way that will be perceived, and then be prepared to engage with people in that model. Does that make sense? So if you send out the 500-page memorandum on the property, um, you know, you're going to get a different type of response than you would with the 15 acres in this county. And being willing to go back and um, I think I think to wrap this up, some people send out the 15 acres of this county and they expect people to have the insight of the person who sent out the 500 page memorandum and they're not willing to work through the steps of the sale because the steps of the sale is different on each of those. Does that make sense? And um, do you would you agree that people maybe they don't realize how they're packaging out the information, which makes them struggle with how to deal with customers or or buyers or, or whatever the case would be? Yeah, I think in, in short, we can just point back to, and, and guys, if you haven't listened to episode, I think it's like two, three, five, and six, where I talk about the radio station WIIFM. That, that, again, this is a core concept of understand what you're saying, what you're putting out there, and try to get in the mindset of the receiving party and, and try, to, you know, try, to make, try to make their job easier. I think that's, that's really what, what I'm getting at at the end of the day. If you're, if you're going to try to send someone a prospect or try to engage with somebody, try, try to make their job easier. Don't try, don't, you know, don't add work to their, to their plate. Try to do what you can to softball it up. I think that's kind of the overall, I think that's kind of in general what I'm getting at. Is that in general what you're getting at? Yes, I think, I don't know, maybe. Well, I, I'm going to push back here. This push back a little bit because when I'm, when I'm in talks with someone, um, I, I use the term open-ended and closed-ended question. So I ask either an open-ended question or a closed-ended question. And both of those are designed to elicit a certain type of response that I'm trying to get the person to go somewhere to find out whatever it is I'm trying to find out without just coming in. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Show me everything you got, right? So I'm trying to, to work towards this. Um, and, and so I don't, but I don't always want to use the same set of questions to walk the same path every time. And so I think each situation kind of warrants it. And I don't know if, I don't know when you're saying what's in it for me, and you've said that several times, 
it's sometimes it's hard to know what the person is looking for, right? So on the mineral thing, is you know it's probably pretty pretty cut and dry, but it's not always apparent what is in it for them. Um, and so how do you when you say make it easier? How do you evaluate giving them too much information where they don't really have to do anything, and they might, you know, they might say, ah, you know, I'm not interested in this for there's this everything's here. It's 500 pages versus making them do a little bit of work because they have to do some kind of work to engage with you, obviously. I think we might have gone down a pretty deep rabbit hole here because um, I, I think well, I mean, the concept that you're talking about is super broad. I was only, you know, And what I said was only specifically to that one example. Sure. So that do, what I said doesn't apply across the board. Um, in answer to your question, I think what I'm getting at is, you know, if you're talking to a customer, a prospective customer, a prospective client, and you're marketing a service of some kind, I would argue that most customers at the end of the day, price is not the most important thing on the list. I would argue that value is. Value is obviously intrinsically linked to price, but I would argue that value is the most important. And so if you continue to talk, and so, and there are times where I've been in sales roles where, you know, if you're, if you're in a sales role and you're sending out prospective clients emails multiple times a week saying, Hey, we've got this hot special that ends on Friday. You got to act now or, you know, or creating, creating what I call false urgency to, to pump up sales as opposed to building the relationship and providing value. That's, those are the kind of things that I'm talking about in terms of missing, missing the point, missing the message, because there's ways to, you know, to, to bring, there's ways to bring something to like people like you, you know, you and I that doesn't sound salesy, but at the same time, you're trying to get a sale, and that okay. I think that's where I'm going. That's where I was going with that. Okay, so let me ask you this: How do you do it when you're dealing with like when me and you are are talking past each other? You kind of mentioned that. What are things that we'll, we'll have a we'll get the couch out, have the self help session here? Why do you think it is that um, people like me and you sometimes struggle to talk to each other? And we talk regularly. It's not like we're talking once a week here. We're talking pretty regularly, almost every day. Um, and sometimes we've had we've had a handful of times where we've talked past each other. And you know we can blame we can play the you know, kind of the blame game. But but I'm serious that that I think sometimes deals are lost because people who are working on deals together aren't even talking about the same thing sometimes. So how do you work on fixing those issues? Um, and, you know, how do you identify them um, as being maybe a one-off or is a systematic problem? Yeah, I think one of the things that you and I uh, can uh, sometimes will butt heads on or, or some of the friction will come from the fact that you and I are, are similarly confident people. And so when we're trying to make a point, sometimes we, we you know, we'd like to make that point. And sometimes I, I if you, by the way, if you guys can't see this and, and if you're only listening, Ryan is smiling on the other end. He's, he's looking at me with this look of acknowledgement just for, for the sake of the audio. Um, but I, you know, so I think there's times where we can get in our own way in terms of, you know, wanting to, you know, the, the, the ego takes precedent over communication. Uh, and also I think that to a certain degree, uh, you know, if you get laser focus on, you know, I need to make this point on the call or I need to do this. If you have such a laser focus on like a singular objective, if you're making a sales call or, 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 you know, trying to, uh, to interface with a new client, you may, you know, you may miss the boat or you may not be listening or, or as keyed in on the, on the cues that you are getting because you're so laser focused on getting done what you want to get done. And you, and so you're, you've kind of blinded yourself to the rest of the room. No, I think that is a fantastic point. Um, because I still do this, um, but I used to be really bad about it. Someone would say something and I wanted to address the point. Uh, and then by the time they're done, the issue has really moved on. Um, and, and But I had a really good point that I need to say. Sometimes it is necessary to go back. Like sometimes there, it's just necessary to go back. Most of the time it's probably not. Um, and that's something that I struggle with because you want to sound smart or you want to correct an error or you want to do this. And you miss other things that are being said because... Well, not only did you not get to that, they, they moved on. Someone else hopped in before you, and you're still steaming on that point from three minutes ago that you want to make sure that you get. And, and that's that's something that I, I've I've really struggled with over the years is wanting to get that zinger in. And I'm not saying to, to embarrass the person, but you know, just to make sure that I got this point out here. And that that that's a very real struggle that I've tried to get better. Doing the podcast has actually helped me because I, I try while doing the podcast, and this one is a little bit different, but most of my podcasts, I let the guests talk the whole time. 
um, which means that, you know, I got to let them get all their points out there. But yeah, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I, I still struggle with to this day. And I'll tell you the, the way, and I'm the exact same way, the, the same way you just painted, I, I feel the exact same way and I, and I struggle with the same thing. Um, the way that I remedy that, and, and I think it really works for me, is when I'm in a meeting face-to-face or, or on the phone, I, you know, I do the same thing. If I have one of those things that I you know, really want to say, one of those zingers or one of those points I really want to make, I will write it down so that it's at least offloaded out of my brain. So I'll quickly jot like a couple of words down. I won't write the whole thing, but something to remind myself. And then when the next break in the conversation happens, I have like a running list of the things that I've written down. And at that point, I can kind of make a really quick judgment call. Is it really germane to the conversation? Do I need to say this at this point or can I just let it go? Because at the same time, I think there are definitely times where it may be a little awkward and may not really flow, but there are times where you need to come back to something that you would have said because it's critical, because it's going to be critical later or you know, or needs to be said, but there's also times, like you said, that it really was just, hey, you know, I just want to sound smart, and it's really not critical to the conversation. And you kind of, you know, and to that point, you probably need to figure out what that line is, and that's going to be, you know, a judgment call on each, you know, uh, per person. But I think that's a really uh, important distinction as well. You know, um, one of the things that that it's not a, it's a similar type story. I was in a meeting one time, and I went to this meeting with one objective. Which was to get this uh, this thing we'll say from this person, um, and um, so I had, you know, opening and closing. I had these questions that I was using. I had already thought about it, already mapped it out in my mind, um, how I was going to get there. And one of the things I was going to do was to talk about something else that we had had some uh, other deal we'd been working on that they had already told me had fallen through. So I was going to use that as the lead in to get to where I wanted to go. And we talked, and so we leave. And then come to find out, um, about a month later, they call me up. The thing that I went there for, that I got the 30-second answer about, um, wasn't happening. That deal was done. The thing that I used to get there, that was the actual thing. Now, luckily, we got it done. However, I was so focused on getting to this certain line of questioning and I had mapped it out. I, I mean, I did a good job of getting where I wanted to go. But in that process, I was so tuned in that I missed. And I went back and replayed the conversation in my head. There was all these clues that the deal that I thought was actually done, was actually off the table, was available. And I missed all kinds of clues because I was so focused on getting down the line. So it's the opposite of, hey, let me circle back around and say something. It's also you can do the same thing where you're trying to get somewhere and you're missing the breadcrumbs, which would lead you on a different path. And the fun part becomes, and because you're, you're right, and I do that sometimes as well, I think the really fun part becomes when you're so prepared and you've prepared yourself that you are able to take the conversation in a number of different ways to kind of get to the same way that you want to go, but you let the other side of the table dictate the conversation and you let them uh, dictate where, where it goes and you're, you, know, you have a mastery enough of what you're trying to get to and, and where you're trying to go that you're able to, to you know, kind of weave it However, they because because generally I like to let the other person uh, you know lead the conversation whether it's in a sales conversation or just introduction. I mean, there you know there were some meetings that you and I took um, where you know I'll, I'll say it on air. I don't have any shame. There were a couple of meetings that, that, that you know we were in in a meeting and I texted you like, hey, you know I'm I'm getting you know I'm getting a little bit lost here or you know like what's going on here kind of thing and because. Because you know everybody does those meetings differently, right? And there's different ways. And but at the same time, I'm not going to dictate that. And so there were times where you know that where you were taking more of the lead, and there were times where I was. And we were going to kind of play off each other. But if you and I, if you, if you or I were taking those meetings solo, I think it would have been you know those would have been different contexts. Yeah, and the um, the one thing about having someone else there in the meeting is, especially if this is something that I think is important. It works out pretty easy with the meetings that we're going to because one of us has set the meeting, so that person's lead. There's no and and we're we're, we're we we check the ego and say you know Ben set the meeting, so I'm just gonna sit here and let Ben lead, and then I'll jump in when I feel like it's my turn. But Ben's the kind of the head dog here, or vice versa. But what that does, and if you're you know, and this is I think something that, that this from a sales and, and and perspective in general as well is that if you have two people go to a meeting, you actually really if you play it right. You can actually let the the person who is leading the meeting almost go in there stress free because he that, that he or she doesn't have to listen for all the cues, all the little breadcrumbs. The person who's sitting over here, their job should be listening for 
inconsistencies in what the other person's saying, or the fact that the other person wanted to go somewhere else, the, the we'll call it the client, the client wanted to go somewhere else, but the lead person didn't catch that and went a different direction. And so going two people at a time has actually a lot of benefit because there's been times where people have pointed out to me like, hey, uh, they want that, you know, or, or, or a better example would be is that, you know, we're sitting there and the class talking about something and I'm going somewhere and then the other person kind of interjects and takes it a different direction. I'm like, what are you, why are you going there? And then later on they'll say, well, you missed it. But three minutes before that, they had said they'd brought this up and I wanted to see why they brought it up. So um, if you're going to, to meetings two at a time, I think that the, 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 the wingman, the Robin, the Batman, if you will, should almost be there is trying to pick up on what's going on here. Um, Person A is driving the ship, but person B is over there kind of saying, okay, hey, let me make sure I catch any any foul ball or, you know, thing that's kind of not in what we thought, uh, not in a fair way, to use your term, um, and make sure we don't let those things go astray. Because if you're in a meeting solo, and, and you know, especially a first-time meeting, um, there's so much that could come on that it's kind of hard for one person to really to catch it all with a big net. So um, I do enjoy the, 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 two, the two people at a meeting because there is, um, if they're done rightly, there's a lot of extra stuff you can actually grasp, grab onto. Yeah, it's really important, but I just want to mention this, uh, that you know, I think that you and I are unique in that way that you and I can take those meetings because you know you and I do very different things offline from each other, right? In terms of business, you and I do very different things, but we're able to make those meetings work because we play off each other so well. Uh, and it's important uh, to, to note for the people listening, you know, if you're going to walk in the room with somebody else, know that dynamic, understand that dynamic, and, and be, you know, because if you're you know, if it's awkward or if there's like contention between, you know, if there was like contention between you and I, or there was like fighting between you and I, of like who was trying to lead or who was, uh, you know, who was the alpha or who made the better point or any of those things. It, 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 number one, it wouldn't work, but number two, it looked really awkward for the other side of the table. Right. And so it really only works, uh, you know, be, be, no, no, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, those, those would be points of contention, but we know that I'll make the better points and I do the better meeting. So it's not really, you've already, I am the alpha, you've already conceded all that. So I could see for folks who have that, but we don't have that dynamic because you have already acknowledged who the greater of the two is. So it's, we're cool. We're cool. It's good. Well, no, I mean, no, exactly. We, we did the work. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay. That's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. To set the expectation up on the front end, that we were, <laughs> were going to let you lead and let me save, save it at the end of the day. I mean, <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm completely on board. <laughs> I like how you turned that around. I appreciate that. <laughs> I thought I had you. That's pretty much what I'm paid to do. <laughs> no, but you are right. The um, and, and I think the other thing is just to, on the on the kind of the, the two people going in there is to be able to have the honest conversation afterwards. Like there's been a couple of meetings. There's one this last week where we got through, and you're like, hey put your laptop up while we're talking. And and to me, I misread that. I thought it was one of your meetings. It was kind of apparent to me early on that y'all had some very narrow things to talk about. I wasn't going to reevaluate. So I pulled the laptop out, had some emails to take care of. And and so I've thought about that several times since then. Like, okay, I need to be aware of that. Am I doing other things besides the laptop? Because the laptop's just representative of me not being checked in. Right. It's just, it's me being, it represents me doing something else. Um, And so, but being able to have those post- um, post meeting recaps where there's good honest feedback. Hey, did did I go too far here? Did I miss this? Um, because if you're truly wanting to close a deal, to use the term closing, um, you should care about your performance. That should be something. Now we all have our own styles. We all have our own techniques. We all have our own things that are, are unique to each other. But at the same time, if I'm going to meetings and consistently someone saying, "I really want to hear about 
Eagle for Acreage, and I'm like, let's talk Permian the whole time, and I'm just so locked in, I'm not even hearing them. Then I, I need to, I want to hear that, that I'm, I'm whiffing completely because I don't want to be spinning my wheels on things that I can fix that are easy like that. Yeah, no, it's it's so valuable to have you know someone else in the room that that can listen to the same thing and and like you said, debrief at the end because you know there's a lot of times that you know sales seems like a very like public and very outward thing and 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 you get a lot of feedback because you're talking to a lot of people and there's coaches and all these things. I have found a lot of sales roles are somewhat solitary. You don't really get a ton of feedback unless you seek it out. You don't you're you know unless you're seeking out active ways to improve that's not just softballed up to you. And so having the ability to debrief right afterwards is really critical. Um, and and to, you know, to the point about the laptop thing or just in general, like, you know, different meeting tendencies, I think that that being able to have that feedback because, you know, after you, after you and I talked about that specific example after that meeting, I know we came to an understanding of kind of where I was coming and where you were coming from. It wasn't a right or wrong thing. It was just a misreading, like you said, a misreading, on the intent, intent of the meeting, but that's really valuable because you know, that, that's what's going to happen, right? And you know, I'm sure that the other side of the table, the guy that we meet with, didn't notice at all. Did you know? It probably wasn't a blip on the radar. And so, you know, it's just you know, feedback between you and I. And to to that point, by the way, I think I've said it multiple times, or, or at least alluded to it. I'm pretty particular about about things like that. And so that's something that like rubs me the wrong way. But that's not necessarily something that rubs somebody else the wrong way. And so it's not a universal thing. And so I think everybody has the quirks. Well, being able to be open and honest and transparent about those things in a business relationship is kind of what makes it work. And I think, um, you know, uh, if you can mute yourself so you don't hear this, because I'm going to compliment you. And I don't want you to get, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the head to get too big, but That's I think pretty big. I know, but I know, but I think one of the things that you and I do really well is that we're able to listen to uh, candid feedback, but not only listen, I, I think that you and I both are able to turn that around and implement changes pretty quickly. And so we're, you know, we're, even though we're very confident people, I think that we're able and willing to be malleable and, and, and make tweaks to, to, you know, to fit the mold or, or you know, improve. And I think there's a lot, of, lot to be said because I think at the end of the day, Ryan, I, I was actually thinking about this yesterday. I think that you and I, to some degree, might take for granted how quickly you and I are willing to change course or improve or take feedback and, and implement it. I don't, I don't know if that's a, a widespread thing. I, you know, and so I would, I would, uh, Challenge people that you may be listening. You know, if you're if you're someone that likes routine, likes to be kind of stuck in, stuck in your ways, um, get out there and kind of push push the boundaries a little bit. Uh, you'd be surprised what uh, you know what that can uh, you know what kind of effect that can have on your business. Yeah, I would say um, a couple of things. One, most salespeople I know um, always are being always are afraid they're being micromanaged, and they would probably be well to be micromanaged if they'd get feedback. So. Um, if you have a sales manager who will give you honest feedback about your calls or your meetings or, or whatever, I think that's, you know, you should, you should actually go for that because as you mentioned, it's quite lonely. And, um, the changes that I've had to make, you know, when I used to start going, um, to meetings, uh, doing sales kind of stuff for R square global, I would go in jeans and a, you know, fishing shirt because a lot of the stuff we we're doing was in the Haynesville, a lot of field offices. Well, then I started going downtown and, and I was kind of like, hey, I'm going to be the rebel. And then people were like, hey, you probably shouldn't wear that. And I was like, okay, I want to wear it. But, you know, multiple people tell you, it's like, okay, you, know, you probably shouldn't. And then I had someone, uh, my dad pointed out one time, you know, you keep interrupting the client while they're talking. Quit interrupting the client. So I really try hard now when the client's talking to not interrupt them, no matter how smart of a thing I have to say is. I really try my best not to do that. Um, and so it, it is it is something that, you know, um, that I think is important. But I, I would say this, if you can get someone, and we were joking about this last week, I said joking, we're talking about this. Um, if you can get someone to sit there and just take notes the whole time in your meeting, do that. I think that's, there's a lot of value there in just going back and recapping the notes, good, good high level notes of what was said from both sides. Almost if you have a transcript, um, you know, if you have a transcript of your meetings, if I could have a transcript of meetings, I'd probably find 5,000 things I hated about myself that I was doing wrong, but I also probably find a bunch of stuff that I just completely did not catch how they emphasized it, or maybe they alluded to it and I didn't circle back around and, you know, being able to be in the moment and be aware of that is um, something that, that it's hard to do, no matter how, how in tune you are, it's just, it's just hard to do uh, because you can catch one thing that they've alluded to, but they may have alluded to two other things and you're trying to get to that one thing. So you can't get to, you know, you just can't get to all three. Writing it down, like you said, is, is one way to alleviate that. But even still you're, 
um, you know, you're still struggling no matter how you do it to catch everything at one time. So this doesn't help you until you know afterwards and you're debriefing with yourself after the meeting. Um, but I'm curious, um, two part question. So would you consider or have you ever recorded a meeting, you know, a live meeting with someone? And if you have, or if you do, uh, do you feel compelled to get there? You know, even if you're not going to you know, send it out to anyone, even if it's just for yourself, do you feel compelled to ask them for their permission to be able to do that? Um, I've only, to my knowledge, recorded one meeting one time, and that's because I knew that that meeting was going to be so above my head that I, I could not relay the information back to the person that needed it with any degree of accuracy. So, uh, and I did not, I did not um, convey it to the person that I recorded, um, mainly because that would have changed the dynamics of the meeting. And I needed to get the information as raw. It, it's, it wasn't anything classified. It wasn't anything personal. It was simply going into a new space where the vernacular, the lingo, the slang is so foreign to me, I had 0% chance of actually taking that and calling up the person who would know, who could, who wanted to be there, just couldn't. Um, and so in that, in, that, in that one time, I felt like, okay, I'm not really betraying the trust. This person wanted to be there. He couldn't be there. Um, so I have to get this information to him. Um, if I record it, though, it might stiffen things up or or, or whatever. So I don't, I don't advise it. I don't regularly like to do it and i've only done that one time um and, and i kind of feel like i was bad about it but that was the only time i did it and i probably today it'd be tough for me to to do it that's been several years ago but that that was the one time i did it before that um for that I reason mean, these days you can just have one of your minions do it yeah i can have one of my minions do it when it well or call one of your you know servants at your house to come and do it for me um if you'll put them on loan but no i i, I I think my salespeople at some point may have tried that. Of course, Texas is a single consent state, so the laws are a little bit different there. Um, but yeah, I did it one time. That was really because, and, and I'll be honest with you, if I hadn't recorded it, the meeting would have been a waste of everyone's time. We didn't get the deal. It didn't matter at the end, but I, I literally could not have, con I mean, you're talking like, think of how the government uses, you know, FBI, CIA, all these organizations and all these little acronyms and stuff. That's what this meeting was for like an hour, you know, and I, I don't know what any of this crap means. So I, I had to do it um, or. It would... Yeah, well, it wasn't the government. I'm just saying that this imagine going into one of those government meetings where they're using all those uh, abbreviations and you know terms. It was it was a brutal meeting just to try to act like I had any idea what this guy was talking about. So what about you? I don't know if I've ever recorded a meeting. I was, try, I was trying to think as I asked the question. Um, not one that comes to mind. Uh, there have been definitely been times where I'd like to, um, yeah. but I don't. I don't know if yeah, I have. like all, all the pipe stuff I'm dealing with now. As we talked about on the show, I'm not a pipe guy. It would benefit me to record them because then I could go back and ask all the questions because they're throwing out tons of slang. I don't. Um, but yeah, there was that one time where I had someone who was supposed to be there. I feel like if I set the meeting and I'm supposed to be there solo, then it's on me. You know, I need to be able to convey the information no matter how far out of my fairway it is. This was a, a unique situation. So I went for it that time. But anyways, so um, so did you look up the thing I mentioned? The shift gives you on Friday, the Russian pencil. Yes. So let's set the table here. I heard this story, and on the show we have a saying, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story here. So I'm not saying this is true, but don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Supposedly in the 1960s or whatever it was, um, NASA paid millions and billions and trillions of dollars for this pen that would write anywhere. And the Russians, because they're super smart, decided to disuse a pencil. And so they saved a bunch of money. Now I think the I looked it up, and the, it appears the that the story is probably not true, but who knows? But it got me thinking, Ben. Um, the Russian pencil. How many times do people try to come up with new, fresh ways to close a deal? They just need that tip. They need that seminar. They need that um, email tool, whatever. And instead of just using whatever the Russian pencil is, instead of just using the Russian pencil and making sure it's actually sharp. Do you, do you think that we see that a lot where people are, are spending more time on trying to develop the new technology instead of just using the pencil? I think there's definitely a give and take. I think, and I think that that's, you know, depending on what you're talking about, I would probably give different answers. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's a reason that the adage, keep it simple, stupid, has been around for as long as it has. I mean, most of the time, 
there's a proven method to do something, and most of the time it works. There is certainly you know, room for innovation and room for improvement and all of those kind of things. But at its core level, I mean, yeah, the, the, especially if you're talking about how to put a deal together or you know, the psychology of sales or, or those kind of things. I mean, you know, there's plenty of different ways to sell stuff, and there's plenty of different things to sell. But at the end of the day, you know, there's been so much written about it that you know at I would argue, and this might be this might not be the right point to make, especially given our podcast uh, theme. But I mean, I would argue that at this point, if you've read the available material on sales psychology and marketing psychology and those kind of things, the the answer is there. I don't think there's a lot extra. You know, there's not a ton like outside the box. There's new ways to do things. But no, I think at its core level, um, you know, if you what we talk about every single episode find a way to execute something and execute it at a high level and just continue to do that day in and day out. It doesn't need to be some, you know, arduous process of, you know, breaking, breaking things down and re-engineering things. Just find something that works and continue to do it and you'll find success. Yeah. So I thought about that some because there was a point in time where I really felt like, Hey, the social media stuff, that's where things move in. That's where it's at. You know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all this, that's where things are at. Now, I don't believe that anymore. I think LinkedIn um, has probably the most value of any social network. I mean, unless you could be some kind of Instagram model or something like that, I think the other stuff is, or you're selling to consumers directly. Most of the other stuff is pretty useless for business. LinkedIn seems to have the most value. Um, and so I, I have thought about, okay, um, is there ways to make sure I'm maximizing my LinkedIn um, usage or my LinkedIn account? But you're right. There is the, there is the, Hey, there's plenty of business books. I think I've said on the show before. I know I've said to you personally is what I've learned from business books is I can take a business book. Once I identify how close our personalities are alike, then I can tell you how much of the book is useful to me because I, uh, yeah, Ben's showing out over here. I'm going to change the camera view. Um, but once I identify how much the business book, the, the author, his personality is like mine, I can tell you because if you're saying in a business book, for instance, to go to 400 conferences a year and go to meetings from uh, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day, that's not useful for me. That's a zero because there's I, I like doing meetings like me people, but I, I got to have some wind down time. I got, I'm an introvert by nature. That's how I recharge. So... I think, as you're mentioning today, there, there's tons of new stuff coming out. There's always stuff coming out. We have a show. Obviously, we talk about this stuff. Um, I think we try to be more more practical on how we view the things and the dogmatic um, lens. And so I, th- I think there is something to that Russian pencil thing, whereas don't be caught in the cycle of always spending money. Um, and part of that, I think, Ben, is because the education system has failed us. And a lot of people go to college and they graduate college and they don't know anything. And so they're like, okay, well, continuing education. I'm a lifelong learner type guy. I, I agree with that. But I think there's kind of a push now, over push for um, education instead of actually just taking the pencil and sharpening it and seeing if that works instead of trying to develop a new tool. I mean, to that point, I think part of sharpening the pencil is continuing to plug into those resources, right? And I guess what I mean by that is, so on LinkedIn, I think on a weekly basis, I probably post right around 70 to 80 articles uh, that that publish to my feed. Uh, And through that process, I probably read, I probably, let me say it a different way. I probably only post one out of every seven or eight articles that I'm reading. Now I'm not reading every single article word for word. I, you know, I'm reading for content. I'm reading for, for high level pictures, but I mean, one, so one of the ways that I stay up on the market and I stay up on what's happening is by post posting things to my LinkedIn feed, because through that process, I'm organically reading all these, all this material and, and, and diving through it. And so that works for me. That's not something you know, that, that might work for everybody, but that's, you know, that's one example of, of a way that, you know, that I'm not, necessarily going out of my way to, you know, get bogged down in the minutia of, of every little detail. But, you know, if I want to provide good quality content to my LinkedIn feed on a daily basis, uh, you know, and I'm, not, and I'm not putting out just random puff pieces, that takes, that takes some consideration and that takes some due diligence to do. Um, you know, to your point about, uh, you know, the message, I, you know, there's, I couldn't tell you if there's a certain metric, but there, you know, there's a certain threshold that I have. If I read, you know, a number of articles by one author, by one author, by one writer that for whatever reason 
doesn't drive with the message that I'm, you know, that, that makes sense to me with what they're talking about, or they're coming at it from a, an angle that I don't agree with, etc. You know, I, I have, you know, a list of people that I just, I'll just won't read their articles. And that's just one way that kind of me cutting out the noise. And, and so, you know, um, yeah, I think it works, it works for everybody or you, you have to find a work the way to works that you, for you. Yeah. You know, and the final thing I'll say about this, I think for those people who are trying to say, okay, well, you know, all that's kind of, kind of, kind of great. For me, I always struggle with the kind of information that I would like to disseminate is probably more technical than the kind of information I would like to talk about. So, for instance, I'm okay with putting out a super technical article, um, and but but I don't actually have the desire to debate that back and forth on LinkedIn, whether that's right or not. Does that make sense? So it's, there's a sense in which I don't, I, I don't put out content that I don't want to engage people with. So there's some stuff that's interesting to me, but I don't want to, if, if there's a big, I want people to comment on my stuff and, and talk about it, but I don't want to put out stuff that's going to drag me into, you know, fractional percentages or, you know, whatever this thing is. Um, I like to keep the conversation at 30,000 feet if I can. So I try to deploy stuff that fits in that, 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 that range, which cuts me out from a certain audience as well. And to that point, you know, so, so for me, there are times where I'll post an article. Like I posted one just a couple of weeks ago or last week that got a, a number of pr- pretty funny comments that I, and I shared a couple with you. I didn't engage on that article because it, because that wasn't the point. The point for me isn't necessarily to engage with every single comment and every single article. It's more to kind of start a conversation on LinkedIn and, and within the connections that I have, I don't feel necessarily compelled to interject my own opinion. So there are times where I, you know, where I will comment on, on things and there's times where I'll just kind of let the conversation go. Let's, let's wrap it up on that. Okay. Re- on commenting on LinkedIn. So I put a post out the other day and it was, I, oh, I, th- I thought you were like calling the show. I, th- I thought that was like the end yeah. credits. Like you were about to launch just, all right, done. <laughs> yeah. They got here. So I put a post out the other day. And the post was very clear in what it wanted. Okay. It was an either or post. It doesn't mean you had, you were going to, you know, there was no nothing at stake. We're not going to hold you to the fire if you're wrong. It was a very clear post. And it's more to be kind of, hey, what do you think? And lighthearted. But I mean, it's a serious question, but you know, hey, no one's dying over this post here. Well, let's be, let's be honest. You're just trying to get views. Okay. Well, I was trying to, I was trying to be like you. I can't, I can't catch Ben. Despite him having eight friends, he is blowing me up. I think it, I think it's percentage increase is what they're measuring it as, and that's that's the deal. It's just percentage increase, yeah. And so your percentage increase is crazy. Um, now that you got ten friends on LinkedIn, but what's Ryan that, Coatdale's Ryan Ray? That's a, we're, we didn't even bring up Nape on that level. We'll leave that alone. Um, just did. Yeah. Well, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and, and so some people. They commented what they thought was going to happen. Um, and hey, that's I'm curious. Well, what is kind of the general read of the room here? But some people, they couldn't just comment and answer the either or. And it wasn't, is either this going to happen or this going to happen? It's which was more likely to happen. And I'm just curious, what do you think is more likely to happen? And some folks couldn't answer that, which which makes me, I don't care. I appreciate you commenting. And I'm curious what you think, but... Why would you not contribute to the discussion at hand? That's what I don't understand. Instead of trying to interject, is that going back to that thing where you think you have something really smart to say, so you, you just kind of interject that? Or was the question worded poorly? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, O-Wise Ben Samuels. No, I mean, you and I talked about this offline. Um, I, I think that that's, you know, it depends on what the comment is, but I think it's a combination of someone just trying to sound smarter than, you know, or st- trying to make a good point or trying to make a point um, and using that platform to do it. Um, I think also though, it's, it's apropos to what we've talked about on this podcast about just missing the message and, and you're know, missing, like missing reading the room. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so a couple of the comments, uh, you know, uh, cause I know, I know which place you're talking about. I mean, they were, they were like monologues of like stories that had like nothing to do <laughs> with the question. And so it wasn't like missing the point of, and, and like, Oh, I'm going to make a point of whether it's this or this, it was, you know, I'm going to use the platform to just talk about stuff. And, right. and, like, and, and what you and I talked about, I mean, that that's, it's just fascinating to me that actually, you know, I don't think I said this to you. It's fascinating to me that people do that on LinkedIn. If you do that, like on Facebook or on Twitter, 
like I think those are like more like kind of open forums, but I don't know about you, but one of the things that I do and going back to a point I made a number of uh, podcasts ago, uh, you know, when I'm like looking at possibly working with somebody, one of the first things that I do is go through LinkedIn post history. And if I see comments, you know, that are completely just outside the box and and like that, uh, it it definitely makes an impression on me. You know, it's not necessarily a deal breaker, but it's definitely something that kind of, uh, you know, is is a red flag to a degree for me. I mean, what what about you? Yeah. You know, what I found interesting was, um, you know, sometimes there's, there's posts that I see on LinkedIn and they're kind of hard to read what the author, if the author's wanting feedback or not, um, like your posts don't always make it clear that you're looking for feedback, right? You're and that's by the nature of how you generate some of your posts. It's not always clear that you're looking for feedback. Um, sometimes mine aren't clearly looking for feedback and sometimes I'm actually asking for feedback, right? So I try to kind of walk the line depending on what the post is, what I'm actually looking for. Um, what, what, what's, what's unique and interesting is, is when you, when you ask for the feedback, um, I try to make it where the feedback is, uh, kind of in, you know, A camp, B camp, C camp, or, or, or whatever the case would be. Um, because that kind of keeps it easy, keeps it light. And some, and somebody came on this one and had some funny stuff to say about there was a bet between them and their buddy over this. And it was like, okay, hey, this is kind of closer to the spirit of what's going on. So I appreciate that. Um, however, I had another post where I, I was kind of jokingly saying that, I've been working on international deals, as we know. Um, and so I put me in 2019, I'm going to work on international stuff. Trump, nope. You know, like, because he's always coming out and doing that. And the point was more of, I'm trying to do stuff, and it feels like he's actively targeting me. Now, the reality is, is we know he doesn't know who I am and, or care about who I am. Um, and, and so someone come in and put Trump 2020. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to take that. Like, I don't know... I was just making a spoof that I'm trying to do stuff internationally. Trump's seems to like actively being working against me. What does Trump 2020 have to do with it? I wasn't mad at the person. I wasn't angry at him. I just, I have a hard time computing how to respond to that comment. Cause I do appreciate some of the comments on my article and I try to like it at least as long as it's not crazy out there or, or engage it. But with that one, it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't actually know. And then someone else come in and said, Hey, you know, they had some insight on what they thought Trump was doing, and I responded to that because I thought that was a. I understood they're coming from, and I, and I had the ability to respond to that a lot clearer. But I, I want to engage because when I put the content out there, it is hopefully to start a conversation on some level. Not everything has to be five million views like you get, but get the ball rolling. Um, and, and it makes it hard to engage when someone when they don't really fit into the paradigm of where the conversation is, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think to a degree, that's I, I take that as like the same thing as like a Twitter comment. Like, it just I, I, what I mean by that is that I, I wouldn't give that any weight. I wouldn't engage. You know, I I make it a, pro, a practice not to engage on in politics. I don't think that I don't think that LinkedIn is a place. I'm, I'm one of the people that doesn't think that LinkedIn is a place to discuss politics, religion, those those sort of. He's laughing. I don't know why. I'm going to give him the floor here in a second. But I think you know, if someone were to post that, you know, it's just okay. That that's fine. That's your prerogative. I'm, you know, I don't need to engage. Yeah, I, I've never understood that argument. And I, I, we got to wrap up here in just a second. But I've never understood that argument. LinkedIn is not the place for politics or religion or anything. To me, LinkedIn is a business platform. And however you want, as a free market capitalist, I believe that. You should be able to portray your business or your persona, business persona or whatever company we call it, however you want to. And that people in the marketplace can decide whether or not they want to align with you. So if you want to get on there and talk about Trump or Hillary or Obama or whomever, then go for it. Um, that just that sends signals to the market and just let the market understand that the market will respond. I put out stuff that's not super technical. I put out stuff that kind of makes jokes. I'm sending signals to the market, and the market can look at that and decide whether that they want to work with me or not based upon the signals I'm sending. So I, I don't agree with that at all. I think that, and I'm prepared for people to go, hey, this guy's a little too goofy. He's not serious enough. He's not breaking down engineering calculations. Okay, yeah, you pegged me. And that's what I wanted you to get from that as well. To that point, just for clarification, it, it's not the right place. So I'm not going to. No, 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 no. Not, I'm not trying to project to other, you know, the, okay. That's that's not. I got gotcha. you. Other if other people do, it's not a automatic negative. But at the same time, you know, if you go on like a profanity laced rant about you know somebody in office sure. or on policy, 
you know, yeah, I think, I think everyone, I think everyone's going to react to that positively or negatively, but yeah, I mean, so to that point, you know, be, feel free to put out any, any comment or, uh, you know, or, um, content that you'd like, but also, you know, understand that there's reactions to that positive or negative. Yeah. So I think if you want to brand yourself as a MAGA company who is behind whatever Trump wants, you know, what's to do for tariffs or whatever, um, and that's your marketing strategy, I think you should double and triple down on that if that's what you believe. And if you are anti what Trump does and you want to brand yourself as that company, then you should do that. I think what you're saying, Ben, is you don't want to be branded on either side of that discussion, so you'd leave it alone. And that's your brand is by not being associated with either side of the discussion. Am I reading that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I think I think that's I think that's a fair position to have as well. I think any of those are fair. I I, I just I found it interesting that some people, um, you know, they will comment on people's comment. They will. I've seen people who will get on people's posts like this. Sit in the spot for that. It's like, well, if you don't like what this person is saying don't work with them. Like that's like, that's the simplest though. That's which is what you're saying. I'm not accusing you of this. I'm saying I've seen people like, ah, uh, this is the spot for that. Da, da, da. It's like, well, don't work with the person. It's a really a no brainer here. Yeah, no, that's actually one of the reasons I used to be a lot more active on Twitter, but, but Twitter became just kind of a cesspool of everybody saying, you know, this, and then people coming in and saying, oh, this isn't the place for that. Or, oh, you're wrong. And it's just kind of, I, I've stopped engaging. Uh, and so to that point, um, you know, if, if people do that, you know, or I don't feel compelled in general, really to make my opinion known to others. If you ask me of something, I'm going to give you my opinion, but I'm not going to come out, go out of my way to, to put, you know, to put my views on you. And to that point, I think that's kind of what that is and, uh, on social media. When someone goes out of their way to comment on someone else's post in reply to a comment and says like, this isn't the place for that, or you're wrong because X. I, you know, it's almost to me like, why did you, why did you hit send? I don't, I don't, I don't understand yeah. the method, the method behind the madness on that. But well, um, no, I, and I think yeah, there's, there's a lot more we could, we could break down there. But we are up against the clock. Ben Samuels, we will be off next week um, for Labor Day. You haven't worked all year, but it's glad to see you're taking that holiday. Um, and so. That's good to know. Um, one, of, one of us will be in the office. One of us is going to be, I think, on vacation. I'm not really sure which one is which, but I'll let the listeners decide. I haven't taken a day off in eight years, so yeah, let them decide. Oh, oh. Well, in that Ooh. case, why are we, why are we not uh, firing up on Monday then? I'll be in the office. Sounds like a challenge. Almost like the Chick Fil A challenge, which we've got to get to. At some point on this show, I, I talk I'm, see, I was actually wondering if you were going to actually say it out loud because now it has to happen, and you're you're it's going to be bad for you. I was wondering if you're actually going to bring it out into the public, or that, if we were going to keep it quiet until like you decided that you couldn't actually win. Oh wow, wow, no, 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 no. We will we will tease out the terms of the Chick Fil A challenge uh, two weeks from today. I'm supposing and. Uh, it's going to be a massacre. So a lot of birds will be getting eaten on you know, that day. Ben Samuels, in the meantime, folks can find you on LinkedIn. Do not talk to him on Twitter. He's grumpy and angry over there. Um, where else can folks find you at? Uh, right now, just on, on LinkedIn and, and on this uh, wonderful hourly spot on the uh, the podcast run by the wonderful Ryan Ryan. And don't comment on his LinkedIn stuff either. He doesn't really put his stuff out there to hear your opinion. I would appreciate your comments. I like I like talking to a wall. No, that's really good for me. When I, when I get like 20 views on a, on a post and I get no comments and no likes, that, that's my sweet spot. That's, that's where I'm like, for the most comfortable. Yes. 20 views? You ain't got 20 views on a post ever. Quit lying. You only got 10 friends. Come on now. The reach is ever expanding. <laughs> You better watch out. I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh, if they only knew. If they only knew. Well, I'll be on LinkedIn as well. Bringing the Closures podcast um, has been a great time. Once again, Text Oil and Gas Podcast, Energy Week Podcast, Oil and Gas Contractors Connect. I will be on all of those shows telling you all of my wonderful ideas. Ben, we will be back in two weeks. The listeners, thank you, and we'll talk to you then.
T-Mobile for Business. Unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal Awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection.